Hello. Now, before we start today, I wanted to draw your attention to the fact that it is Birth Trauma Awareness Week next week. So that's July 7 to July 14. And as part of that, I'm going to be having lots of stuff happening on the Instagram. And I've also got some training for birth workers on July 9, 16 and 23. So you get three live training sessions with me and my Facebook group. It's an introduction to birth trauma and what do birth workers need to know pretty much. It's cheap. It's 97 Australian dollars if you sign up before July 7. After July 7, it's going to be bumped up to 197. So you're getting a lot of value. Um, that also includes an extra Q&A session with me after you've done the training. So if you're feeling like you need somewhere to start with someone who's got the personal experience and the professional background, come and join us. You can find all the information at drerin.com. .au, or you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Erin Bow. Simple as that. Imagine you're an octogenarian on your deathbed. You're looking back on your life. Are you going to regret not speaking up, not advocating, not raising your voice? Welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bauer, clinical psychologist and coach. This podcast is all about helping the helpers, inspiring you to find growth from adversity and teaching you the skills that you need so that you and your clients are strong and resilient. My guest today, Kerry Adams, is an anarchist midwife, a system disruptor, an educator of modern savvy midwives who also want to change the world. Today, we're talking about midwife archetypes, the good girl, the bitch, and all the patriarchal discourse that creeps into our subconscious when we choose reaction or inaction. She talks about the differences between the UK and Australian systems, how it felt losing her autonomy and dropping skills, the culture shock of permission asking and feeling like, as a midwife, there are people who want to keep you stuck at a certain level of skill, influence, or even power. Kerry has an extraordinary vision, yet she describes a time when she literally lost her sight for 10 minutes when she was working beyond capacity caring for 24 women. We talk about how our lineage of birth workers is not one of confidence. Trace back to your own family history. If you find any women who in any way supported healed or advocated for other women and children they were called witches they were burned and drowned the epigenetics of fear and fear of being seen is very real we talk about doing the inner work to create confidence and truly learning the difference between passive aggressive and assertive behavior we talk about the bystander effect that happens when witnessing obstetric violence and finding the confidence to say, I want you to stop to someone who's causing harm. How values drive behaviour and how this can show up in things like not making yourself proper lunch. We make reference to the history of food and diet culture that's marketed to women and all the shame, guilt and punishment that goes with it. This is all about moving from reaction and inaction to meaningful action. I want you to stay in birth work if that's your goal. Let's talk about actionable steps to help make that happen. Morning, Kerry. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thanks, Erin. How are you? I'm pretty, pretty good. Pretty good this morning. I'm very, very excited for where this conversation is going to go today because I think it's going to get juicy. Okay, yeah, it's probably going to get juicy. I'm hoping not to swear, but I might if I get excited. <laughs> I think we are well past, or I'm well past the point of not, like, no, it's, it's just going to happen. Someone asked me a few episodes ago, actually, is it okay if they curse? And I had to pause for a second and I wasn't, I think they thought I was pausing because I was like, oh, shocking, terrible. I'm like, huh, haven't I already dropped an F-bomb already? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Oh, shall we start with mm-hmm. a little bit about your lovely self? How how did you decide to be a midwife? What was your training like? 
Um, so the decision to be a midwife, I think it, I think it subconsciously arrived when I was about 12, actually, because my mum had her fourth baby and I was very interested in what was going on and asked if I could be at the birth. Wow. Uh, Yeah, and this was in hospital, actually, and she had all of us in hospital. And um, actually what happened was everything was fine until she started actually pushing the baby out and I got a little bit scared. But being a fourth baby was born in about five minutes flat so I was back in the room very very quickly but um I think what what transpired from that was was seeing my brother so new at that point I was just completely in love with him and um if he listens to this now I shouldn't say it but there is there is like a special sort of little bond with with that youngest uh, sibling so yeah I always felt that um, it was what I wanted to do. Um, however, as I progressed through, through school, I was kind of pushed into doing other things. Um, so my stepfather really wanted me to get out there and earn some good money and have a respectful job and, you know, not be a nurse like my mother was. So I ended up working in a law firm for a short time, but the calling was too strong. And um, I went to my mum and said, I just don't know what to do. And she said, well, come and work at the hospital on work experience. She was a nurse in neonatal um, with the midwives and see if you like it or not. So I did that. Then I went into nursing um, from the advice of many midwives who were also nurses saying, do your nursing first, give yourself options. Um, But within two years, I was back in university studying to be a midwife. Um, And I actually didn't like midwifery once I uh, became a midwife. Um, oh. yeah I actually didn't I I was like why don't I just go back and be a nurse but I think it was the discomfort and the real need to step up and also the culture of midwifery that was um yeah that was chasing me back out because I really felt like I'd found this place in nursing whereas in midwifery it was really hard and you had to earn your stripes so um yeah, I struggled for a year. Then I settled in. The system was really bad to the point of like on one shift, I actually lost my eyesight for about 10 minutes. Wow. I was so stressed with the amount of work, like 24 women on a ward. And this is in the English system. Um, and I was responsible for like all of them with a support worker. <laughs> How is that even like it humanly Can possible? I just tell you, my breastfeeding rates were falling. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, it was it was pretty bad. Um, I mean, but it's like one minute per. I'm just oh, I can't. I'm, my brain can't do the maths, but I'm trying to think like what could you possibly do for each woman and baby or yeah. multiple babies in that like little window. Yeah, it was just really scanty. I mean, in the birth suite, it was better. It was generally one-to-one care. They always got the, the you know, the best end of the staff. But on the other wards, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, you know, a woman would bleed on the opposite ward and you would run down there in the middle of the night and leave your ward unattended. Like, it was pretty dangerous. So, mm. yeah, these are the kind of conditions I've worked in. Um, in the past it wasn't as bad when I got to Australia from a staffing point of view actually Mm. and so did you notice big cultural differences or not so much oh yeah huge because even though there were stresses with the system in the UK I did have a certain degree of autonomy Mm. and my birthing room for the woman was um, not entered by anyone unless um, they were asked into the room Um, so the the book stopped with me. If I thought there was something not right, I had to ask for help. Um, and I had to keep the team leader informed of just what was going on over the course of the day. But um, when I got to Australia, it was very much um, medically managed um, along the way. And also I worked in a hospital which was kind of 70% public, but 30% private. So I ended up in this place where I was given a woman and then I'd be doing all the things and then she'd be, I don't know, fully dilated or there'd be a problem. And they'd be like, oh, you need to ring her obstetrician. I was like, what? 
mm-hmm. why am I ringing somebody? I don't really understand why I have to do this. And like, no, she, that's what she's paying for. You have to call them. And I was like, wow. And then I started to see the practices from that end of the spectrum go on. And I was absolutely shocked at some of the things that I saw. Mm. Do you want to tell us about some of the things? Yeah, I think the most shocking one was um, one of the doctors would always, always manually remove the placenta. Mm. So just go into the uterus and take the placenta out every time. And the woman would just upset that that was what her doctor did. I just Mm. couldn't get my head around it. I was really shocked. Um, hmm. so, yeah so that was probably the, the most invasive thing I've ever seen um, but also you know the vacuums the forceps the unnecessarily unnecessary um, ways to birth just because of you know oh I'm clocking off at five o'clock I have a dinner or oh, I'm going on holiday tomorrow so let's induce you you know timetabling birth on mm-hmm. their terms and not on the woman's terms or the baby's terms Mm. and what's your support been like throughout this journey for you have you had good support not such good support I felt like in the UK it wasn't too bad because we have what we call supervisor of midwives um over there that it's not a supervisor per se but you're assigned this supervisor they're not watching you do your practice, but you check in with them every so often and you have chats about what's been going on for you in practice, um, how you can improve things. But that also would um, come under the umbrella of if another midwife thought something you'd been involved with or there was a, a risk form put in that you were involved, she would check in with you and chat to you about that as well. So there was always... You were always talking about your practice with someone more senior. Which is interesting, actually, because that's very similar to the system in Australia with psychology in Mm -hmm. terms of one of my huge roles as being a supervisor. And it's just like you've explained. I think sometimes people think it means like somebody underneath you is in trouble. You're going to work to like monitor them. But that's just the word that's used. Like it's really more like a mentor, really. Yes. It is. And that's just the way things are done, but they're not done that way in other, um, yeah, professions. It's so confusing. But, yeah, it seems like that would be a reasonable system. Yeah, and it's – it's. Um, I actually quite liked my supervisor. And, actually, you're allowed – in the UK, you're allowed to swap your supervisor if it's not a fit, you know. Which you um, should. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you you may divulge some really private um, – information or be quite vulnerable in that space and so you need to like them (laughs) absolutely yeah but once I came over here I was really felt like I was butting heads going oh well why would we do that why would we do that we don't do that in England we don't do that in England and I had to drop the whole oh we don't do that in England I had to go if I'm going to survive here I am going to have to go with some of the things that happen um, because the policies and procedures are different. Um, and it meant dropping skills as well. Like in the UK, I would read blood results and go, oh, this woman needs this, this and this. Call the doctor and say, this woman needs this, this and this. And they would say, yeah, bring me the form, I'll sign it up. There, w- there was no need to always be getting a diagnosis and permission for mm. things. Whereas here, it really felt, yeah, like I was always asking for permission to... Um, do the things that women needed and also here the the non-assignment of a midwife to every woman I I cannot I cannot get my head around that either um mm. you know the, the fact that if you've got a medical problem you you're put into the medical clinic and that's it that's your care until you give birth it, yeah, you can kind of start seeing I think sometimes when you talk to someone who has a different perspective and who's had a different experience in their training and their practice you start to see oh this is where some of these interlocking trauma issues are coming from like I always think there's the there's the way you're supposed to practice there's the actual birth in front of you that's unfolding yeah and then all the things that get stored in people's bodies when they are 
not only traumatised and fearful, but also kind of their hands are tied in the yeah. sense that maybe they'd like to make some more decisions, but they're not able to. Mm. Yeah, and you just feel um, sort of pushed into a corner. And also you actually start to feel like it's a bit like I'm an intelligent woman, but you don't, it's like they don't want you to be intelligent. It's like, mm. you know, we'll we'll just do you'll just do what we say kind of thing um, from, you know, from the medical system downwards, um, like we don't know anything, um, which is a really hard place to be, especially when you're really into it, like you really care, you really love birth, you've seen it unfold in spectacular ways, like I had the best mentor I could have had um, when I trained, um, she was a very strong personality, though, and that's another thing in the system. Um, midwifery attracts different archetypes, and there is <laughs> definitely this, um, you know, strong, ego-driven, um, I'm-in-charge archetype um, in there. Um, and she was one of those, but I managed to infiltrate the deeper parts of her and... Um, yeah, she had me sitting in corners on my hands, not doing or saying anything and explaining to me transition as it was unfolding and all of these things. So I was given all of these beautiful skills, but um, not always being able to practice them and mm. also being viewed a little bit different, like came to Australia and they were like, oh, we've not seen you all shift. Where have you been? Oh, in my room, <laughs> you know, like that's where I've been with the woman in the room and that's how I was taught to practice in the UK and over here it was like oh if you're not socializing at the desk and getting involved that you know that's you're not included and that's problematic in itself mm. not being in the culture so let's talk a bit more about this culture this thing that's happening with the one in three women having a traumatic birth mm-hmm. the Eight percent of midwives just—I think that's just in Queensland—who are fearful of birth and possibly have some of their own PTSD. What do we do about it, Kerry? Well, my my view on it is that we can't have um, midwives leaving in droves, um, I, and I don't actually think that 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 will happen to a large degree because there is a fear of leaving the service as well. Um, because people have mortgages and lives and and all of that and they love working with the women and I've said it before in the past over the years um, I stay because I love working with the women that's what that's what we do it for Mm. Um, but the problem is there then is we've got lots of midwives practicing without integrity um, and this is transpiring um into you know into the clinical scenario where women are experiencing birth trauma because a someone's not speaking up and making you know de- not decisions for the woman but with the woman and helping her um or someone is speaking up far too much and pushing their agenda on on the situation um so what needs to happen is there needs to be a change in practice in the hospital um in the system and it needs i feel it needs to come from within so you see the types of midwives that get pushed around um and quite often they are the most humble the ones that really are into more natural practices and are willing to go the extra mile um and I, I think there needs to be some kind of extra training around life skills and confidence skills. I think that many of us say we're confident because oh, we went to school, we did the thing, we went to university, we did the thing. Then we had enough balls to get a job and now we're working in the job. But no one in that, in that picture has trained us for life, you mm. know. Um, so if we were more confident in our own selves there would be a way then to transpire that without losing our jobs. Like we would actually be going, actually this, 
this is not okay. And it's okay mm. to say that, you know. Um, for every midwife that as my friends recently have come across, because I, I actually have about eight friends that have just given birth or are pregnant. It's, that's, it's crazy at the moment. <laughs> Something in the water up there? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> They're all due within like four weeks of each other. It's just all been going on. But the things that have been said to them, it, you know, like, oh, if you don't have the whooping cough vaccine, you could be responsible for the death of your baby, you know, mm. like it's, um, when, when did we start pushing our own agendas onto women, our personal beliefs, you know, um, can we just not lie down the facts and say, here's your information, come back with an answer, like, you know, um, so I, I don't think we have to lose our jobs over this. I just feel like we have to get super practical about it and, and create um, that, do the inner work, basically. Um, my belief is that we need to create inner confidence, um, self-care, not just, you know, we've, talk, we've seen it and talked about it. There's a lot of um, the yoga body with the green smoothie, you know. Mm. I've been guilty. Oh, you know, you know my life. love for dipping green smoothies, which isn't <laughs> actually. I actually drink green smoothies. For anyone who yeah. ever like keeps hearing me dipping the green smoothies, I do actually drink them. I just don't think it's going to be one singular thing or like no. two little things that feel nice. The things that feel nice often don't make drastic global no. <laughs> change. That's <laughs> right, and it, and it might take you know. Um, that, you know, the midwives are having a crisis of confidence and it might take breaking down that for them and building them back up on a personal level um, to, to step into their power, you know. Um, I'm currently on the journey myself. Like, no one's ever completed the journey, I don't think. No, no, like, I wouldn't want you to. That would no. be going back to the egotistical archetype of, like, I'm done. Yeah. I've done all my inner work. I've run a mile from those people. That's right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, whoever stops learning, like no one stops learning. You know, I I meet I don't know I meet older people all the time um, through through different things, and then they'll and they'll say, "Oh, I'm not going to stop working because I'll be bored." And I'm like, "Well, could you not stop working if you're financially fine and learn something instead?" Like, because I, gosh, I can see my um, menopause in front of me in 10, 20 years and going, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to India and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to learn all the things about um, transcending this earth. <laughs> but, um, you know, and they'll say, oh, no, that's for the young ones, you know. I mean, really? Like, mm. we really have to turn this on, on its head and get curious about who we are and ourselves. And as women over... Um, that you know hundreds and hundreds of years we've we've been bashed down like things have um not been good for us through industrialization and 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 years and years before that too um so our lineage is not confidence it's really not um, no you're absolutely right we've got a you know it's not that long ago it's a fairly recent history really of mm women attempting to raise families and learn as being something that incites quite a bit of anxiety and mm -hmm. fear and threat and that's not that long ago. No, it's not. And, and it's happening all the time. Like I have a colleague who um, has recently been challenged by APRA because she was reported by a paediatrician for a couple of things in private practice, which he'd never met her. He doesn't even know who she is. But he wasn't happy with what she was diagnosing and referring for. And so he reported her. And then, um, anyway, APRA found that there was nothing they could hang her on and that she was, um, she was practicing within her remit and doing great things, actually. Um, so she's been investigated and got, the, you know, the, the paper proof. Um, but, yeah, um, he went as far as to... Um, go to one of the doctors she referred to who said, um, I feel like your claims are unfounded and he couldn't get anywhere with her. Mm. But it's just like, why Why are you doing that? I don't understand what the, um, what the reason is of trying to hang 
people, women, oh. you know. It's... And he said actually for the benefit of the mother and the baby. Like, yeah. Is that actually who you're genuinely trying to support and care for mm. by going and attacking other people? Mm, it happens a lot, this culture of bullying. So I suppose that brings us then to the point of if it's a confidence issue, partially amongst lots of other things yeah yeah how do people find that safety net I suppose to actually be vulnerable say what it is they want to say and not I suppose live in this fear of what they think is going to happen like I can just imagine so many conversations I've had with people who say oh I'd like to but I you know I don't want to ruffle feathers and I, I don't want to be complained about and I don't want to have to go through an ARPA investigation and oh, I'm going to lose my job and all this sort of stuff. Like, yeah. really, what is I the think, worst that can happen? Yeah, what is the worst that can happen? Um, well, I think I think the thing is, is that we, we're making it out to be bigger than what it is by speaking up because um, I've been there, like, in the last two years, I've worked in a birth suite after um, I went back to work after Sonny was born. And um, some of the things that um, I had to speak up for weren't, weren't that um, critical, but it, would, mm. it had a big effect on how something would take shape. Mm. So for, for instance, um, you know, a woman's um, appeared in the ward for um, induction and I'm being pressured to get the oxytocin hung by eight o'clock in the morning because there's a list of women to get through. This mm. is this is the pressure that you're under. So I go in there and I'm sort of going on oh, working quite fast and which gives me no time at all for, after taking handover at seven o'clock to actually get to know this woman. You know, yeah. it's it's pretty um, full on. So. But then the woman in herself says, hey, this is moving really fast and I'm feeling incredibly anxious about the whole thing. Do you think we could slow down and I just take my time a little bit? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that, this is exactly what needs to happen. Yeah, sure, you can. So I come out of the room and then I say, oh, I'm actually going to take my break earlier and give this woman some time to um, take in what's actually taking place here before I do anything else which mean that ox- means that oxytocin won't be hung until nine o'clock instead, you know. Mm. Um, but then you come under the critical gaze of the team leader who is under pressure to get these things going and done and she's asking me why I've not done the job I'm supposed to do. So um, you end up and then you you end up in arguments of like, well, this woman is anxious and I don't want to keep going with this and um, until she's ready. And then they're like, well, we've got this, this, la, la, and, you know, so that, that to me is not, it's not an incredibly massive thing, but it could have a huge impact on the way that woman gives birth later on in the day. Mm. So her having the conversation, the team leader being made aware of it, the team leader then after I've spoken up, I go on my break and then I see that she's gone in to have a discussion with the woman who's told her exactly how she feels and then it takes shape in a completely different way. Mm. So um, I think sometimes the, the fear is bigger than the thing. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. And when, and when, you know, when we say we're seeing these abhorrent things happening, you know, intense VEs by the doctor and the woman is um, not, not that a VE is enjoyable, but she's not, um, she's being traumatized by it. And you can see that happening. Um, Since when is it against our jurisdiction of practice to say, I think you need to stop that now? Mm when like we are advocates for the woman you know um and and we'll you know can that doctor honestly say well I don't I don't like you because you you stopped me from traumatizing that woman like Mm. 
it's such a birth is such an interesting space and I think when I've worked with um well birthing people and partners and that kind of thing I always talk about this idea of particularly for the bystanders so partners people watching in what other universe would it be a situation where you would potentially watch your partner being held down watching her scream watching her being handled roughly and the social thing to do is to stand there and not say anything and not do anything and I think this is often the thing that eats away at people because every cell in your body is asking you to react but we don't because Mm -hmm. we are so socially conditioned to go oh well that's not for this situation so then I always think well where does that energy go where does that no wonder people are traumatized because in what other situation would you stand back and not do something not say something exactly and it's um you know without point of a better word it's actually um rape and if you're not if you're not speaking up standing up then you're part of the problem Mm. like so unfortunately for me I have I have to say that midwives we are part of the problem because practices go on in front of our very eyes um that we allow to go on for fear of saying something fear of speaking actually Mm. you know um, raising our voices um and it and so therefore it, it, it's it's nothing to be struck off the register for speaking up it's actually not it, it's worth for people i think letting that sink in because i'm always aware that people go oh but that's something like it's okay for Kerry because she's confident oh it's okay for this person because of Mm. this and it's okay I think this is sometimes what it comes back to maybe this epigenetic history that we have where if you look at I guess even just the practice of midwifery that was you know at one stage considered witchcraft and so when women spoke up they were drowned and they were burned Mm -hmm. and I, I wonder about that potential for that real like life or death stuff that has been passed down in like genes being switched on that say, no, speaking up equals death, so I'm not going to. Oh, yeah, completely. And also we we can't forget that um, the way way that our generation has um, been brought up for, you know, for a few years now, it's like, you know, it's that um, be a good girl, don't don't, um, rock the boat, that kind of thing. It was certainly that way in my house. Um, when mm. I was growing up um, and my mother didn't speak up about about a lot of things in my house um, that were abusive that were happening there so um, when you get that kind of life training um, how 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 on earth are you expected to go into a big place like a birth suite where you know the breath of the wolf is close and actually um be able to speak there if you can't you know you haven't been trained to speak in your own home it's mm. you know it's a very difficult spot to be in um you know so I, I do feel like you know we go to university and they two things happen one is they give a very nice picture of what birth is in university and it's all geared up to normal physiological birth um, we're midwives and this is what this is what we do so we're we're the experts in um, the the normal and then when it's not going that way that's when we have to do the referral um and so they give this side of it and they do not prepare us for the trauma that we um in, you know we see when we go into the hospital or the people that we might meet um and so there's this real disparity between the two places. You're in university, you're super excited, and then you get in there, and it's and it's almost disgusting. Like it's mm. it's just a terrible place to be, um, and there is no respect for you. Often, no respect for you as a person wishing to train um, in birth and be around birthing women and babies and families. Um, you know, given to you by people above you, like there's this real patriarchy. And unfortunately, there are women who are midwives that are, are involved in that as well. 
um, it, you know, you can just be completely ignored. Mm. You know, I, I, I was treated, and, th- and this is a, I think this is an interesting sentence. I was treated like a new graduate midwife after 17 years in clinical practice when I went to a new hospital. Mm. So one is I was treated like a new grad. So how are we treating new grads? <laughs> Pretty terribly yeah, by lots of accounts. Nobody asked me who I was or what I'd done or no one cared. Mm. So, yeah, it's a very interesting um, place to work for sure. So- I wonder then, is some of this, how do we translate this into like a teachable skill? Because I'm always interested in the like, okay, how do we get from, there's all the hot air, as I've spoken Mm. about before. The hot air is there, but to do something with it. So we get to a place of action rather than reaction or inaction, which seems to be the two things that happen. Yeah, Is this a matter of having assertiveness skills? training confidence training self-development training what what are we what are we aiming for what do you think things should look like I I do believe like there is um there is enough self-development in the world to absolutely go around it a million trillion times over Mm. um and I I don't think that um you know certain professions are above and beyond doing that self-development like it's inexcusable to go well um you know they've got these companies like let's talk about lululemon so lululemon has um this company that has a certain ethos and um they're treated differently and they have different kinds of training have this really positive sort of attitude i don't think the health service is above and beyond that um and I think some kind of training, like you say, in assertiveness, in confidence. And when we talk about self-care, there are a myriad of ways um, that self-care can transpire. Um, I've been doing it myself in the last two years because um, one is I've had, I've had birth trauma and then I've had a birth that was super empowering. But I've also suffered with Hashimoto, so I've had to really step up my game about how I care and look after myself. And it's like you say, it's not just the green smoothie. It's um, it's you know, it's it's sleep. It's um, it is food. But how how are you gonna get that food? I mean, like if you're stuffing McDonald's in on your way to work, um, this is not gonna set you up for a good afternoon at work. You know, that's not um, that's not the kind of thing that we're hoping for. And um, so, what we need is midwives in there that are are assertive, are confident, are taking really good care of themselves and are shining. Mm. I wonder. wonder. I wonder if some of this is values driven. So Mm. thinking not just about what values that you are working with and whether you are mirroring that in your work, but also do you value yourself? Because that's another really common thing that happens Mm. to people in healthcare where we have this um, paradox where I don't think anyone, you know, realises that, oh, McDonald's is unhealthy, but mm. I sometimes wonder if that is about you don't value yourself. Yeah. It's like you can say to people, you know, drinking loads of coffee and eating loads of sugar and doing all the things that we all do and it's not about punishing ourselves, but then sometimes maybe it is because if you also look at the history of women and food, even in the last 60 years, huge culture around shame Mm -hmm. and guilt and punishing and there's good food and there's bad food and if you eat this, you're a worthless piece of shit and and all that kind of stuff. I wonder if it's coming back to people just simply not valuing themselves. Yeah, and it, and it also, it's like that lack of preparation. I, I've been there myself and I've done it. I've gone to work and gone, oh, I'll, well, I'll just go get something on my break, you know. But the break never shows up. Mm. And so 20 Cadbury's uh, roses later, um, a slice of white bread and margarine toasted with Vegemite from the, the staff fridge, I'm still um, working, you know. Mm. <laughs> And we do that. We do. I've done it too. Yeah. I have seen clients in a lunch break because 
oh, they really need to see someone and they're desperate. And it's that thing of, oh, I want to give to people. I want to help people. So then you give everything to everyone else because Mm. we equate sometimes being assertive with being a bitch. Yeah, which is not, that's not it. You're absolutely right. Like you don't have to be a bitch to be assertive. Like you can be eloquent, astute, you know, and it gives no reason for people actually to dislike you because you're not being horrible. You just, you know, you're saying that this is this is not on. We can't carry on like this. Um, and and taking really good care of yourself as well, like giving you self respect. I mean, you you almost can't expect to garner respect if you're not actually paying it to yourself. Mm. You know, so um, I, I think there's a lot around that. And, and people might think it's a bit woo-woo, but that self-love, that self-respect, that self-care, all of these things change what you are, your DNA, your cellular structure into something a lot brighter and a lot smarter and a lot more stable. And how is that for the birthing woman when you go in there with lots of energy and lots to give because you've given to yourself like it it has to um transpire oh you can feel it you can definitely feel it if I think about my own births I think of the contrast between someone who's like at the end of a shift absolutely haggard like I think about my first birth I've talked about this before and I'm just like walking into the hospital thinking I don't know I think I thought I was in a Beyonce video or something and everyone was going to be so excited we're having a baby today <laughs> for yeah. midwife was like morning yeah oh. <laughs> I was like, that oh. with my second birth actually <laughs> I was the um the woman that was having a V back at home that arrived at the hospital between 6 and 6 30 mm. uh, and you could just see that they were like what she was trying to have a V back at home, you know. Um, well, yeah, actually, it was, and I very nearly made it until my little boy did a poo inside me. <laughs> but um, you know, things happen, um, and and the birth was actually fine, and um, the team that I had in the end really rallied in it, and it was it was great. Um, the closest I've ever felt to source actually after that experience, which was mm. pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, you, you can just see it. And I've been that midwife going, oh, my gosh, it's 4 o'clock. Please don't give me a woman right now. I can't. Mm. Um, I just can't do it right now. And then they do, and then you have to pull your socks up and get in there. But um, it's not the right kind of energy. But there's ways to change that in the moment there and then, you know. We're giving you a woman, okay, I'm just going to go to the bathroom, spritz my face, wash my hands, and then maybe you might do some EFT, mm. you know, and change exactly the way you feel in that moment. Do you want to explain a little bit about EFT? I know what you're talking about, but other people might not. Yeah, so it's the emotional freedom technique. And I don't think anyone really, really knows how it works exactly. But what we know is that by tapping on certain points and concentrating on a feeling around a situation, um, we we can't get rid of the situation or the memory or what's going on, but we can actually um, transcend that feeling and change it into something else or eradicate it. So um, I don't know if you use it, Erin, but... Um, we should do another podcast episode on that. Just give me another idea. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so you can have like a, a traumatic thing happen to you in your life, then you can tap on it and it might take more than one go in that instance if it's something really deep um but you can tap on it and then um you'll like I say you'll still have the memory but you'll probably let go of um the trauma that's around it because quite often when we keep talking about the same things sometimes they don't go away they just become embedded a little bit more deeply so I don't know if you have the same belief or I think it um, for people who are kind of like, huh, what? Mm. I think there's always like a sciencey explanation to give to things, and one is simply that it's activating different parts of your brain and yeah. activating different parts of your brain and bringing different 
energy and awareness into your body, knowing that we, you know, we're living in this body. And particularly when you are doing long shifts, when you're exposed to lots of trauma, it mm-hmm. stays there. So it's about yeah. whether you look at it from like, there's so many different like ways of looking at it, like whether it's energy, whether it's, I think for people who sometimes have been really sceptical of things like that, I thought it's just getting blood back into into mm. your body. Like if yeah. that's all you do is just tap down your arms a few times, and you don't want to do the emotional part, that's absolutely fine. It's just restoring energy and awareness back into the present moment. Yeah, and just, and you know, just creating a little bit of change around it rather than just staying in the same, the same place um, with it, I reckon, as well. Um, what else yeah. do you do? That sounds good. Yeah, I do. Um, I, when I trained to do hypnosis last year, um, through an NLP course. So I've done some NLP as well. And um, I found the hypnosis extremely helpful. So mm-hmm. um, I did hypnobirthing with my first baby, which took me so far. But um, this time around, I had to, um, there were a couple of things that I was like, right, had a traumatic birth experience last time. It took me over two years to recover in any kind of way. So um, to a degree, but not completely. Mm. How am I going to deal with that and not let it affect this birth for a start? Um, And then secondly, I was like, some of the things that affected that birth, I believed was vicarious trauma from other births because I'd seen hundreds of them. Um, And there was a particular birth that I didn't want that I'd seen a few times for different women that actually transpired for me. And it was the one that I kept saying to myself in Sonny's pregnancy, I really don't want to go that way. And that happened, Mm. you know? So I kind of really learned that, you know, the thoughts become things, um, you know, that that's how it felt for me and that I needed to get rid of that and have kind of a clean slate to go into this birth with. And then, then instill the positive um, hypnotherapy towards the next birth and the visualization of how that was going to be. So I, I, I feel like hypnotherapy is absolutely invaluable um, for changing that subconscious um, thought pattern. Um, for sure I'm also a yoga teacher as well so I do feel um, that a regular yoga and meditation practice is is really key for me Um, even if that involves your three-year-old being on your back like it did this morning (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, and having just having some kind of morning routine which doesn't always transpire for me you know I'm not perfect I've got um, an eight-month-old baby and a three-and-a-half-year-old and no matter I try to get out of bed at 5 a.m. every morning, but they're on to me at the moment. It's like the minute I move at 5 a.m., they start to stir, and it's like I just can't. <laughs> I just can't get out of bed. Um, so, um, yeah, so they're, they're three key things um, that I do um, that I've used with women, um, and I, I do feel like they have their place with um training midwives as well um yeah so it's all sounding good that's all sounding good yeah I have a vision of how this this education should come together and and it's you know it's it gets bigger every day of what I think it should be and I don't think it should just be me that teaches it I think there's other special specialists that should come in and have their say and on it as well but um like I keep having these insights like it started off oh yeah I'm going to be an entrepreneur and create this course for midwives okay well now it's to the point of how big could this really get oh it could attract CPD points oh it could actually go into hospitals and actually become part of the thing you know um that midwives do like it actually could become part of that so um, they say dream big, so I'm dreaming <laughs> bigger every day. You know, I love that because it's it echoes so much of what I think I want the world to look like as well in terms yeah. of that 
you know, making the changes happen, not just talking about them, but mm. actually making change happen. And yeah. I think it's been so good talking to you today because I think the confidence radiates through and I'm hoping that's what people pick up on is that you can be confident and assertive without being arrogant or mm. aggressive. And yeah. I, I really do think that is a teachable skill. But we forget sometimes, again, that you learn what you learn at school, which doesn't cover anything to do with mental health, self-development, self-worth, any of that sort of None stuff. None of it, yeah. You know, and if you pick up a few skills about coping from your parents that are reasonably adaptive, then you're doing pretty well. But most of us are just kind of picking this up on the street, so to yeah. speak. And I think that sort of sometimes translates then into people feeling like a personal failure, like this is mm. a personality thing when my stuff is all about like, no, who's taught you how to do any of this stuff? Like it's a very, very, very lucky few who get direct learning, teaching mm. in how to actually look after yourself and how to function in the world without feeling like you're, you know, the biggest imposter, failure, yeah. bitch, whatever your I guess I'm thinking about the archetype conversation again, just whatever insert your thing is that you think you are, it's like eh, it's just a lack of skills training. It is. And um, and I don't want people to think that this comes naturally to me. <laughs> like, I, Well, no, I, they need to remember that they don't see you at three in the morning. No. With your little see, yeah, cherub. Yeah, see me last night even. It was probably sometime between 10 and 11 saying to my husband, um, you're going to have to take him. Otherwise, I'm just going to commit Harry Carey right now. You know, yeah. like there are there are moments I'm a human being. Um, but in the last couple of years, I've, I've really wanted to um, step up. And particularly since Bodhi was born, there's been a real change in my mindset of losing that victim mentality of going, you know, life happens to me. No, actually, it doesn't. Um, it's time to embrace my life as I want to shape it. Um, and not the other way around because I have been that midwife in the hospital feeling like I can't speak like I, I definitely have and um, I just I just have this real thing of like not anymore like no it's it's just time for a change for me and therefore I'll, I'll take anybody with me that wants to jump on <laughs> I having visions of you with them. Uh, I mean, your hair is short now. I'm imagining like flowing red hair on a chariot. Oh, Go forth. That yeah, would be. Totally. And I just had that vision of the exact tarot card that has that. Um, it's it's not a woman with flowing red hair, but there's a chariot tarot card, and it, yeah, it definitely feels like I'm on my way. Like there's movement. Um, yeah, moving forwards and. Yeah, I'm just I'm just ready to do something really cool and and create a change and actually bring midwifery up to the modern plate. Like it's um, steeped in tradition, but at the same time the world has changed, so we we need to keep that tradition and marry that with um, you know a modernism of women that are inspired and um, taking really good care of themselves and. You know, they walk in with their shoulders back and not, you know, slump forward for another shift again. It, you know, I really feel like it, it's ready for a revamp, the whole thing. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Tell me where can people find you if they want to jump on your chariot? Yeah, so at the moment um, I have a blog at kerryadams.com. Um, where I, I write about things that happen in the system and my opinion on that. But I'm, a, I'm actually really happy to um, post things for other midwives if they don't, if they want to raise up and make, you know, public people aware of what goes on, they can send things to me. Um, oh, and- like, a, like a dear Abby slash yes. Dolly doctor slash. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you can write to me and just, go I really feel like I need to share this and whether you want that published or whether you just want to join the voice um you know you, they can do that um but also you know they can follow me on Instagram which is um underscore Carrie Adams underscore and um see what's transpiring and happening there and I'm currently creating a survey 
for midwives to really get to the crux of the matter and find out what they feel they need. Um, and then something magical will happen from there. <laughs> I think something very magical is going to happen. It's just not necessarily going to feel good along the way. No. <laughs> no, no, it's not because I, 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 know, I know that I'm going to come up against it. You know, there's that whole thing of who do I, you know, who do they, she thinks she is um, kind of thing. I, I feel like that will um, transpire in some way, but the haters are going to hate I think that's it. Yeah. And, you know, even when you were talking before about talking to older people, sometimes mm. I'm much better at giving this advice to other people than taking it for myself. So mm. keep, keep that on board. But I guess this idea of if you live a good long life and yeah. you're quite elderly, would you do anything? Like you think, okay, imagine I'm 95. Would mm-hmm. you give a flying fuck what some person thought of you and your opinion and having your feelings hurt if it meant you were going to create better outcomes for the people that you're serving that's kind of what I try and do for myself I think okay imagine you're actually a lot older than you are now yeah. you're looking on your deathbed like you've got nothing else to lose mm-hmm. what would that then look like and then I think if we have that picture yeah like, and then work backwards and think oh okay what's the worst that's going to happen well, exactly, because the biggest um, thing that people regret on their deathbed is that they didn't spend time with their loved ones because quite often we're just in the systems, aren't we, and, and working our asses off to get the things and then they look back and go, oh, what a waste of time that was, you know. Mm. And not living your values, not speaking no. out for things. You know, this is the time when people say, oh, you know, I have to kind of I want to confess something or you know all those kinds of things it's like we've got to work backwards not sort of aim for like oh well I can do this when I'm in my 50s and I can do this when my kids are grown up and I can do this when I'm retired and I can do this then it's like no the time's now the time is now it's um yeah it's too it's too late then and then when I think about my grandma who I absolutely adore who um turned 80 this year and she um she has just got more and more outspoken in the last 10 years. It's actually beggar's belief, actually, the way that she carries on, you know, and she, and she's, she'll just cut you off. If she feels like you're a negative influence on her, she's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't align with that. So I'm not, I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. You know, she's Mm. just really cutthroat. And, um, and I think, to some degree you have to be like that as well because you know you don't want that negative feedback in in your life do you you just go okay well that's your belief but I'm I don't have to jump in with that and I don't have to suck that into my skin and heart and mind and everything there's a way of dividing it Mm. so yeah I can't wait. Do you know, I, I feel like I'm going to live to past 100. I've always felt like this, that I'm actually going to live a really super long life. Um, We've got lots of work to do. So yeah. Got, <laughs> it's going to hang around. I know. And I've still got these two children to show that um, there's a, there's, there are different ways of doing things, you know. Mm. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks, Erin. For, for speaking. For speaking out, for speaking out, for giving voice. Yeah, and I, I, you know, just looking back on the conversation and going, you know, um, it's like I love the word anarchy, and my new logo has um, the sign for it there. But it's it not... is such a good logo. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that underlying explanation of what anarchy is is. Um, it's not it's not about you know being a skinhead and running around causing absolute riot um like i say there's a way to do it with absolute eloquence you don't have to um be awful about it Thanks for joining me today know that when you work on yourself this actually has a direct flow on effect to your colleagues the birthing people you support and their babies and if you want to jump on Kerry's chariot go to Kerry with two r's and an ie adams.com 
And she's on Instagram at the underscore Kerry underscore Adams. Kerry is here to disrupt the system. If you're a midwife and you want to share your story or you want something shared on your behalf, I know she wants to hear from you. She also needs data about how midwives are going and what they need. So make sure that you take a few minutes to fill out her questionnaire for midwives. Now, with Birth Trauma Awareness Week coming up, I'm offering some mini birth trauma training. It'll be July 9, 16 and 23. So it'll be three live sessions in my Facebook group. We watch them later. Um, it's cheap. It's 97 Australian dollars. And if you sign up before July 7, you're going to get a lot of value. I really just wanted to release something out into the world for this important week. Um, and if you're listening after July, you'll be able to purchase the catch-ups on my website. So reach out to me at drerin.com.au or at drerinbow on Instagram. And if you want to sign up for updates on the big kahuna, <laughs> my big passion project, which is a much bigger birth trauma training course, um, or you want some independent support, coaching, mentoring, that kind of thing, reach out. I want you to stay in birth work. We need good people in birth work, but you've got to look after yourself. And I'm here to help you do that. Thank you for making time for yourself to feel uncomfortable and grow, you know. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please think about leaving me a review. It helps bump it up and then other people can find it and I can just, you know, share the information and the training and the love. So thank you so much for allowing me to speak my passions and do my soul work. I'm sending you love. <laughs>